Welcome to A Beggar Who Found Bread. I'm your host, a humble beggar named Brad. I'd like you to know that I found bread, the bread of life, the Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth. And I'd love for others to find this life-giving, life-saving bread to grasp a hold of what truly matters. This episode, Nobody's Fool. Props to 80s glam rockers Cinderella for the title to this episode. Hailing from Pennsylvania, Cinderella thought they caught their big break when Kiss bassist Gene Simmons pitched them to his record label. But to no avail. Not long after, John Bon Jovi saw Cinderella perform and ran it by executives of the label with which he had signed, Mercury Polygram. Next thing you know, Cinderella has a date to the ball, y'all. And I think this shows that people take John Bon Jovi a little bit more serious than they do Gene Simmons. And I'm going to just be brutally honest here. I think Simmons' credibility would improve if he'd stop putting jet black shoe polish on that DOT-certified helmet of hair he rocks. Bro, you're like a 100. Let the silver shine through. I get the makeup and wig on stage, but for reals, man, just be you. It's all good. Cinderella was all that was good and bad about glam rock, guitar-heavy music, covered in spandex, and enough hairspray to burn a hole in the ozone layer, which it apparently did. Nobody's Fool was one of their most popular jams. It was a power ballad that was played ad nauseum on MTV, and... To all the guys out there who thought they really sounded just like the lead singer, I think it's Michael Kiefer, his last name's Kiefer. Anyway, you thought you sounded just like him, and you didn't. That raspy, scratchy, falsetto voice that he had when he hit those high notes, yeah, you didn't sound anything like him. And for those of you who told me, no, dude, when I'm drunk or when I'm stoned, I sound just like that guy. No, you didn't. You were too drunk or too stoned to recognize you still sounded really bad. Okay? Just saying. All right. There was actually talk about Cinderella reuniting, but it was announced on July 14th of 2021 that original guitarist Jeff Labar had passed away at the age of 58. The following day, it was announced that longtime touring keyboardist Gary Corbett had also died. So couple sad, tragic things right there. And sadly, yes, the clock has struck midnight for the band Cinderella. Not to be glib, of course. Alas, it's not about the music. It's about the message, nobody's fool. This episode, we will take a look at the first chapter of the uh, epistle Paul wrote to believers in Corinth. So I want to take a look at some context. Context, super important when we're reading anything, but particularly scripture. Really important that we understand what was going on. And so we will look at the context of this letter. As a reminder, Paul, the primary author of this letter, is a man who is Jewish, a Torah-observant, law-abiding Jew, a Pharisee, formerly a persecutor of the followers of Yeshua, who came to recognize that Yeshua is the promised Messiah. Paul then became a prolific preacher, primarily to the Gentiles, people of the nations, the Goyim, non-Jewish people, 
who sought a relationship with Hashem, the one true God of Israel, through Yeshua the Messiah. To whom was Paul writing? Believers in Hashem through Yeshua, who resided in the hub city of Corinth, which was located not far from Athens. There was likely a smattering of Jewish believers among them, but the majority were Gentiles who had come out of pagan, idolatrous ways. There was lots of commerce and trade that happened in Corinth. In the first century, it was a Roman-occupied city, though there remained the influence of Hellenism, the Greek pagan practices, some leftover residual from the Greek Empire after the Romans started taking, attempting to take the world over. What is the writing or the letter? It is an epistle. It is full of encouragement, rebuke, correction, and exhortation, speaking to current events within this assembly. Why did Paul write it? This is a follow-up on previous written correspondence between the apostle and these believers. Now, we call this letter 1 Corinthians. It's actually at least 2 Corinthians. And so what I mean by that is there was at least one prior letter, as Paul mentions in this writing. He refers to it. And since no or very few fragments or original transcripts of that first letter that he references exist, the two writings that we have labeled in the canon of Scripture as 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Hopefully I worded that right and that makes sense. These are the letters that we have. There was at least one prior letter. There was also a letter written from the church in Corinth to the Apostle Paul. He quotes some of that in his epistle. Unfortunately, some people have attributed Paul's quotes from that letter to be his words, which has been a cause for confusion and, let's just call it what it is, bad doctrine. For example, from 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12, we read, Everything is permitted for me, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permitted for me, but I will not be controlled by anything. That verse has led to an understanding that we can do literally anything. Everything is permitted to me. The Apostle Paul said it, and we can do anything as long as it's in moderation, doesn't control us, whether it is prohibited by the Torah, the commands and the laws of Adonai or not. We need to understand the statement, everything is permitted for me, is a quote from the letter the Corinthians wrote to Paul. That statement, he was using their quote. That's not a statement from the apostle. He's taking their erroneous assertion and bringing them understanding. Paul's words are, not everything is helpful. I will not be controlled by anything. So he's not endorsing sexual sin, pagan worship practices, breaking dietary laws to include eating things sacrificed to idols, 
breaking the Sabbath, and so on. He wasn't endorsing any of, the, any of those things in what he was saying, but it's been taken as this is Paul's words. Paul had the follow-up, and, the, and Paul had, uh, spoke statements that conflicted with what was being asserted to him by the people of Corinth who wrote a letter to him. Everything is permitted for me. And so that came from that understanding or misunderstanding, everything is permitted to me or for me, comes from the misunderstanding of Paul's gospel. Paul preached and told people, and he had authorization from James, Peter, and the other apostles to preach this way, that Gentiles coming to faith in the Messiah Yeshua did not need to obtain Jewish identity to become followers of the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua, and to follow the God of Israel, Hashem. He said that they do not need to take on Jewish identity. He did not absolve anyone from the authority of the Torah, God's law, God's commands. He didn't do that. And so he makes clarifying statements there. When it comes to Paul's writings, I will say that a correct understanding of his letter to the Galatians, the believers in Galatia, that is the key to grasping all of his other writings. And I encourage you, please listen to Daniel Lancaster's teaching through the book of Galatians. He's also authored a book on that, uh, on that epistle. You can look both of those things up, and you can find his audio teachings on the Beth Emanuel website. I encourage you to do that. Once you have the accurate context of Galatians, the rest of Paul's writings then have continuity with the whole of Scripture. Instead of seeming like there's a conflict with, with Paul or that he's endorsing abolishing the Hebrew text, the Torah, the prophets, and the writings, our eyes become open to see how it actually all works together. One incredible tapestry woven together by our loving creator and held together by a crimson cord, the Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth. In this letter, Paul is setting something straight because of what they wrote to him and the reports he is hearing from others. When was this letter written? Approximately in the year 53 or 54 of the first century. Paul had gone to Corinth um, in the year 50 or 51 to preach the gospel and establish this assembly of believers. So we will open this letter, which was written to first century God-fearing followers of Yeshua. It was written to them, but it is also written for us, present-day followers. Please note, today I am reading from the complete Jewish Bible. So some names are uh, the Hebrew version of the name. And don't let that distract you as you follow along on your own version. 1 Corinthians, beginning chapter 1, verse 1. From Shaul, called by God's will to be an emissary of the Messiah Yeshua, and from brother Sosthenes, 
to God's messianic community in Corinth, consisting of those who have been set apart by Yeshua the Messiah and called to be God's holy people, along with everyone everywhere who calls on the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, their Lord, as well as ours. Grace to you and shalom from God our Father and the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. I thank my God always for you because of God's love and kindness given to you through the Messiah Yeshua in that you have been enriched by him in so many ways, particularly in power of speech and depth of knowledge. Indeed, the testimony about the Messiah has become firmly established in you so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift and are eagerly awaiting the revealing of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. He will enable you to hold out until the end and thus be blameless on the day of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. God is trustworthy. It was he who called you into fellowship with his son, Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord. Nevertheless, brothers, I call on you in the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah to agree, all of you, in what you say, and not to let yourselves remain split into factions, but to be restored to having a common mind and a common purpose. For some of Chloe's people have made it known to me, my brothers, that there are quarrels among you. I say this because one of you says, I follow Shaul, and another says, I follow Apollos, and another, I follow Kepha, while still another says, I follow the Messiah. Has the Messiah been split in pieces? Was it Shaul who was put to death on a stake for you? Were you immersed into the name of Shaul? I thank God that I didn't immerse any of you except Crispus and Gaius. Otherwise, someone might say that you were indeed immersed into my name. Oh yes, I did also immerse Stephanus and his household. Beyond that, I can't remember whether I immersed anyone else. For the Messiah did not send me to immerse, but to proclaim the good news, and to do it without relying on wisdom that consists of mere rhetoric, so as not to rob the Messiah's execution stake of its power. For the message about the execution stake is nonsense to those in the process of being destroyed. But to us in the process of being saved, it is the power of God. Indeed, the Tanakh says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and frustrate the intelligence of the intelligent. Where does that leave the philosopher, the Torah teacher, or any of today's thinkers? Hasn't God made this world's wisdom look pretty foolish? For God's wisdom ordained that the world, using its own wisdom, would not come to know him. Therefore, God decided to use the nonsense of what we proclaim as his means of saving those who come to trust in it. Precisely because Jews ask for signs and Greeks try to find wisdom, we go on proclaiming a Messiah executed on a stake as a criminal. To Jews, this is an obstacle, and to Greeks, it is nonsense. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, this same Messiah is God's power 
and God's wisdom. For God's nonsense is wiser than humanity's wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than humanity's strength. Just look at your brothers. You look at yourselves, brothers. Look at those whom God has called. Not many of you are wise by the world's standards. Not many wield power or boast noble birth. But God chose what the world considers nonsense in order to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak in order to shame the strong. And God chose what the world looks down on as common or regards as nothing in order to bring to nothing what the world considers important. So that no one should boast before God. It is his doing that you are united with the Messiah Yeshua. He has become wisdom for us from God and righteousness and holiness and redemption as well. Therefore, as the Tanakh says, let anyone who wants to boast, boast about Adonai. All right, and this is that's just the opening. It's chapter one of this letter. In the opening, we see that Shaul, Paul, had a co-writer, Sosthenes, who was Sosthenes. Who is that guy? Historians believe Sosthenes, he's also mentioned in the book of Acts, that he was a Jewish leader who, when his plan to attack Paul, because he perceived Paul as a traitor to the Jewish people, his plan, Sosthenes' plan, ended in an embarrassing rejection by the Roman ruler Gallio. He was then, Sosthenes was then beaten and rejected by his own people. It is believed from there, in isolation, Paul reached out to him, explaining Yeshua is the promised Messiah of Scripture, taking him through the whole of the Tanakh and revealing it to him. Sosthenes grabbed a hold of this truth, hallelujah, and became a disciple of Yeshua through the Apostle Paul. In the epistle, Paul starts off with some encouragement, expressing gratitude for these people. I thank my God always for you because of God's love and kindness given to you through the Messiah Yeshua, in that you have been enriched by him in so many ways, particularly in power of speech and depth of knowledge. Indeed, the testimony about the Messiah has become firmly established in you so that you are not lacking any spiritual gift and are eagerly awaiting the revealing of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. He will enable you to hold out until the end and thus be blameless on the day of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. God is trustworthy. It was he who called you into fellowship with his son, Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord. Now, if I was a first century believer in Corinth, hearing this read aloud or having the opportunity to read this, I'm probably feeling pretty good about myself right now. Like, man, Paul is just heaping some praise on us right now. Yeah, we got this, folks. Then, as happens so often in Paul's writings, the other shoe drops. 
in verse 10, after saying all that good stuff, man, feeling good, all these things established in us because of Yeshua. And then in verse 10, Shaul, Paul, shares that he's hearing about some divisions among them. So after all that good stuff, he follows it up with, Nevertheless, brothers, I call on you in the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah to agree all of you, in what you say, and not to let yourselves remain split into factions, but be restored to having a common mind and a common purpose. For some of Chloe's people have made it known to me, my brothers, that there are quarrels among you. I say this because one of you says, I follow Shaul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Kepha. While still another says, I follow the Messiah. Has the Messiah been split into pieces? Was it Shaul who was put to death on a stake for you? Were you immersed into the name of Shaul? I thank God that I didn't immerse any of you except Crispus and Gaius. Otherwise, someone might say that you were indeed immersed into my name. Oh yes, I did also immerse Stephanus and his household. Beyond that, I can't remember whether I immersed anyone else. So Paul describes what has been told him by those of Chloe's household. We don't know much about Chloe or those in the household. Suffice it to say, they were reputable people, not given to gossip or, uh, or, or the otherwise the apostle would not have given any weight to a report from people of Chloe's household. What is the initial division Paul is addressing in the early part of this letter? Well, the division is being caused by people drawing lines based on personalities. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Kepha, Peter. And some said, I am of Messiah. And I think we see the modern application here in the denominational divisions within the church. I'm Baptist. I'm Pentecostal. I'm Presbyterian. I'm Lutheran. I'm Methodist. On and on and on it goes. There's roughly 33,000 denominations worldwide. There's some division for you. Are you of the Messiah? That's what matters. Really not caring too much about all the other stuff. Are you of the Messiah? That's what matters. The other stuff is window dressing. Have you subjected yourself to the master, Yeshua, the Messiah? Cool. Then we can work together. Paul brings to light the issue has much to do with baptism. By whom were you baptized? And this, this seems to be cause for part of, uh, part of this issue that they're dealing with with their division. It appears um, that, uh, that, that that's where the division came from. When one is baptized, person is immersed. It is the beginning of a new life. We know that immersion has been done throughout time for ritual purity and, and various other things. Um, people were immersed and baptized. It is also used when beginning a new life. It was used certainly when people, Gentiles, would want to become Jewish. They would be immersed, baptized into becoming, taking on that identity. When one is baptized, they are being ushered into a submissive relationship to a teacher or a rabbi. That's part of what baptism can be. 
you place yourself under that rabbi's teachings, his understanding of the scripture, you learn and follow his practices and customs, then you teach others to do likewise. So being baptized into new life with Hashem through Yeshua is all that we just described right there. We are baptized into Messiah Yeshua, submitting ourselves to him wholly and completely. His teachings, his understandings of the Torah, his customs and practices, and then we teach others. So it appears these folks in Corinth were more focused on attaching themselves to the personality of the one whom discipled and baptized them, becoming disciples of those individuals more so than a disciple or disciples of the master. Paul expresses gratitude that he didn't baptize many, so there weren't a lot saying, I'm of Paul, is what it sounds like to me, but he didn't like the division either way. He reminds them that none of the other personalities were crucified for them. It was Yeshua. And Yeshua is not fragmented by varying opinions or personalities. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Paul then explains the dynamic of his own ministry. For the Messiah did not send me to immerse, but to proclaim the good news and to do it without relying on wisdom that consists of mere rhetoric, so as not to rob the Messiah's execution stake of its power. For the message about the execution stake is nonsense to those in the process of being destroyed. But to us, in the process of being saved, it is the power of God. Indeed, the Tanakh says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and frustrate the intelligence of the intelligent. Paul clarifies that immersion, baptism, was not a big part of his own ministry, but the proclaiming of God's news, repent the good news of God, repent the kingdom is at hand, and it is so close that the Messiah has been identified, Yeshua of Nazareth. We later read, Paul further explains that, and this is later in 1 Corinthians, he explains that he planted seeds, Apollos watered, and it is Hashem who causes the increase or the growth in people's lives. He brings those seeds to fruition in their due time. I see Paul making that reference as an identifying the roles of his ministry as well as Apollos' ministry. Paul was educating the people so they would have a full understanding of the gospel, the good news, how Messiah, how Yeshua is the Messiah, and all that that means. Putting all of that together, and then Apollos would affirm their faith, and baptize them into the faith, into Yeshua the Messiah. That's how I see it. Paul says he was sent by Yeshua to proclaim the good news and to do it without relying on wisdom that consists of mere rhetoric, so as not to rob the Messiah's execution stake of its power. He didn't use, he didn't use words 
and rhetorical statements and, um, you know, things just repeated in rote to which might take away from the crucifixion, Messiah's, the, the, the crucifixion of the Messiah, Yeshua. He didn't want to take away from that because that's the power from, uh, as Paul identifies it. For the message about the execution stake is nonsense or foolishness to those in the process of being destroyed. Does not make sense to them. But to us in the process of being saved, it is the power of God. Indeed, the Tanakh says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and frustrate the intelligence of the intelligent. Since Hashem will destroy the wisdom of the wise and frustrate the intelligence of the intelligent, Paul then asks this question, where does that leave the philosopher, the Torah teacher, or any of today's thinkers? Hasn't God made this world's wisdom look pretty foolish? For God's wisdom ordained that the world, using its own wisdom, would not come to know him. Therefore, God decided to use the nonsense of what we proclaim as his means of saving those who come to trust in it. Precisely because Jews ask for signs and Greeks try to find wisdom, we go on proclaiming a Messiah executed on a stake as a criminal. To Jews, this is an obstacle, and to Greeks, it's nonsense. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, this same Messiah is God's power and God's wisdom. For God's nonsense is wiser than humanity's wisdom. And the weakness, and God's weakness, is stronger than humanity's strength. Paul points out that the Jewish people were primarily looking for signs. And the Greeks, the Gentiles, sought wisdom through learning, logic, and reason. To, to those who are looking for signs the crucifixion of Yeshua would appear weak. It would be an obstacle. It would be foolishness. How could being executed as a criminal be a sign he is the Messiah? That would be a question, maybe not those exact words, but I think that would be the question that would go through people's minds. Those who were Jewish, who were looking for signs of the coming promised Messiah. And to the Greeks, the Gentiles, how illogical, irrational, and foolish it must seem to declare the authority of one who was crucified. So this is, Paul is, he's, he's laying it out and he's challenging everyone. He's not just picking on Jewish people. He's not just picking on Gentiles. He's laying out both sides here, got issues. And so this is what Paul refers to as the foolishness or nonsense of Hashem, that it is the crucified Messiah. That is, that is what people struggled with, understanding that. How does that make sense on either side of, of the fence, Jew or Gentile? So just a quick rabbit trail here. There's a book by Francis Chan that's called Crazy Love, and it describes the love of Hashem for his creation. There's also a song that's titled Reckless Love, 
which describes the love of Hashem for his creation. Some have expressed consternation over these titles, and I believe they are of the same mindset of what Paul expresses as the foolishness of God. Of course, Hashem is not crazy. He is not reckless. He is not foolish. May it never be. But according to the mind of man, his incredible, overwhelming, mind-blowing love, which is most graphically displayed by the life, death, and resurrection of the Messiah Yeshua, by whom all may be saved, it appears as crazy, reckless, and even foolish to the basic understanding of man. I hope that maybe helps someone. Anyway, back to the letter here, off the rabbit trail. The continued focus on what would appear to be, what would appear foolish or unwise. Paul's letter, he continues. Just look at yourselves, brothers. Look at those whom God has called. Not many of you are wise by the world's standards. Not many of you wield power or boast noble birth. But God chose what the world considers nonsense in order to shame the wise. God chose what the world considers weak in order to shame the strong. And God chose what the world looks down on as common or regards as nothing in order to bring to nothing what the world considers important so that no one should boast before God. It is his doing that you are united with the Messiah Yeshua. He has become wisdom for us from God and righteousness and holiness and redemption as well. Therefore, as the Tanakh says, let anyone who wants to boast, boast about Adonai. I love this part, this part of the letter. Uh, and and we would all really do well, everyone, every one of us followers of the Messiah Yeshua, to hearken to what Paul has written here and to really keep it in mind. Because in if I'm putting this in my own words, here's what Paul's saying. Y'all aren't much to look at or brag about. You're uneducated, simple people. You're humbly employed and not people of great renown. The only thing you have to brag about is Hashem. You really don't bring much to the table, folks. What you do bring is faith and a desire to live blameless as you follow the Master Yeshua, walking continually with Adonai Elohim as you do so. Let anyone who boasts, boast about Adonai. We don't bring, he, he doesn't choose us. And I, you know, we've, I think we've heard it before. He does, God doesn't um, call the, how does that go? He doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Something to that effect. Anyway, he's not calling based on our, our great standing in society. Not any one of us. Not because of any of our accomplishments. That's not why he calls people. Let anyone who boasts, boasts about Adonai. May he increase and we decrease, and that will help resolve 
a lot of these issues with our divisions as we allow the master to increase in our lives. So I encourage you, please read through this entire brief letter to grasp the fullness of what Paul is expressing. Study to show yourself approved of God. And I believe we will continue going through this letter in upcoming episodes. Lord willing, of course, that seems to be the current direction. In the meantime, there's a lost and dying world desperately needing the bread of life. Let's go out and give them heaven. Until next time, may the favor the Master Yeshua the Messiah found in the eyes of Hashem be upon you and all your household. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, its foolishness to the world, may it reign in your hearts and minds in the Messiah Yeshua. Grace and peace. Cain Shalom.